Welcome to the Perico Podcast. Today I am joined by the COO of Bun Corporation, Mark Watson, who currently resides in Springfield, Illinois, but is a native of Paragold. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jared. I'm really looking forward to this. So you actually brought a gift with you. It looks like a really nice gift that um, you were generous enough to give to us, to give away to some of our viewers. Can you explain to me what this is I'm looking at? Well, I hope I changed someone's world here, that we make the best home coffee maker, in my humble opinion. Um, it's, it's really a nice coffee maker. You can get them at the local stores here, Walmart, places like that. Uh, but this one is a little different. It makes coffee, you'll have a full pot in less than seven minutes. Wow. All right. Fantastic. So tell me this, since I'm looking at one of your coffee makers, um, how in the world did a guy who was born and raised in Paragold end up as a COO of Bun? Because that's a, that's a pretty big organization, right? Pretty big it company? Is, it, you know, we're global, but it's, it's a strange path and it's an interesting question. I started out, uh, I think I talk about this in my book a little bit, but uh, I, t- I started out, I wanted to live in Paragold my whole life. I really, that was my goal. Hmm. And uh, when I got out of college, there was just literally no job. So I took a little job in uh, Truman, Arkansas, in a factory there for a big company, a huge company called Parker Hannafin Corporation, a Fortune 500 company. Uh, one thing led to another. I kept getting promoted, and even really not always at my want. I thought, hmm. no, I just want to be a little guy here. I just really Why do you think it. you kept getting promoted? Um, took a bad jobs and did them well. Really? <laughs> That's what I tell everyone. Uh, I learned that in hindsight, uh, Jared. I really... Would, they would ask for an assignment. They'd say, hey, Mark, you can do this. I'm like, okay, okay, I can go do that for a while, and I would do it. The, really where I made my career, we had made an acquisition in Germany, Frankfurt, Germany, just outside of there. And I was actually on my way to the U.K. to uh, teach some classes on uh, manufacturing, on synchronous manufacturing, now known as lean manufacturing. And I was little, literally at the airport. And back in those days, you got the old paper tickets, and I was – going to check in for Frankfurt, Germany. And uh, the lady said, your flight's been changed to uh, London, England. I'm like, I don't know anybody in London, England. And she said, "Uh, well, uh, here's a number for you to call. Well, I recognize the number, and it was our corporate office. And uh, make a long story short, I ended up in uh, a place just outside of Frankfurt, Germany, for about seven months on one set of luggage and uh, to get a plant back running. And I found out that was something I did, and I did pretty well. And I had a lot of help, but it was just a lot of fun, and that just kind of made my career go from there. What do you think you had to be good at to help get a plant up and running that wasn't doing well? Uh, I have a passion. I really like people, okay. and I really love cultures. And um, so I spoke no German. Um, but they said, don't worry about it. There's people there that do speak English, and the plant manager speaks. Um, he's bilingual and everything, and so – I think just my love of the cultures and the more that I learn other cultures, the more that I realize that we, in our base values, are very much the same. You know, mm-hmm. we want to take care of our families. We want to make a good living. We want to have safety, security. Uh, we have so many things in common. So once you can reach those common things among all people, it's easy after that. So what I hear you saying I think is very important, and it's that leadership is highly relational. I, I think it's all relational. I, I've had some really good leaders in my, my career that mentored me and cared for me. And I think the ones that made the most impact on me, I felt like generally cared about me. They, hmm. they had a genuine trust for me. They had a genuine care. They, 
they wanted to know not what I was just doing from nine to five, but what was I doing on the weekend? How did I mm. like to spend my time? Mm. Uh, they they knew my family. Uh, that's hard work. It's easy to work with someone and and just be casual and just know their name and maybe a little bit about them. But to know someone's heart and to know what drives them, that's a real leader. And you can't really fake that. No. <laughs> you could try it. Yeah. But it comes through so fast. Yeah, absolutely. So you realized early on, I mean, I guess that was at what point in your life? How old were you when that happened? Uh, I tell people, uh, I remember sitting around a conference room table thinking our our company president must be crazy. I was 35. 35, yeah. Yes. So I'm 38 now, so that, that does seem fairly young. So 35, you realize you have the potential. Um, you begin to, I guess, have some open doors at that point that led you to Bun? You know, I don't know that I had. I knew I had potential. I just thought, well, I was good at that, right? You, you always think, I think, well, I'll just run a manufacturing plant the rest of my life. This is pretty cool. I like people. And, and so I did that. I, I left Germany, came back to the States for just a brief period of time. Then I, I, they asked me to go to Mexico to start a new plant. So we, my wife and I moved to Monterey, Mexico in the 1995. And uh, we loved it there. We hmm. really thought we were going to stay a couple of years, and I ended up staying around two years, and uh, but just loved it. But what I figured out in the corporate world, if you do something really well, they want you to take the next step. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, again, I was reluctant about that because I liked what I was doing. You know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really career oriented. I was just wanted to do a you good job. You weren't out looking to climb a ladder. I was not. And, uh, just, um, to short story to bun, uh, I was in my car one day and, uh, my phone rang my cell phone and a guy said, Hey, we'd like to have you come to work for us. He's making a pitch and, but he wouldn't tell me the name of the company. And I'm like, I really do. That's that's great, but I'm not looking for a job. I can probably give you a couple of names, and I did. I gave him a couple of names of guys that might be interested. This went on for almost a year. He would call about every month, 45 days. Hey, Mark, are you interested? No, I'm not. Finally, after about a year, I said, you got to at least tell me who you are. I mean, yeah, why did why, why he tell you? Well, that, it was a private search. And the the other guy had not retired that I was going to replace, and uh, and I I was not being recruited for COO. I was being recruited for the uh, the senior vice president of global operations, and uh, so finally he said, "Well, I'm from like the long name of our company is Bunomatic." So he said, "I'm from Bunomatic," and I'm like, still not impressed. I don't know who that is, <laughs> and. Uh, he said, well, uh, but this time I'm at my office. He goes, do you have a break room in your office? I go, sure. He goes, uh, do you have like a commercial coffee maker in there? I said, yes. He goes, go in there and tell me what it says on the oh, side wow. of it. I'm like, oh, my word. That's yeah. pretty powerful. Yes. I said, you've got my attention. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we talked for, believe it or not, another six months. Because, again, I liked what I did. I love Parker. I still love Parker. I talked to their COO just a couple of weeks ago. And... Uh, we still stay in touch. We're friends. And um, anyway, um, I, I interviewed for a couple of months. We finally came to some terms, and uh, and I'm off to from – at that time, I was living in Memphis, Tennessee, from Memphis to Springfield, Illinois. So, And you've been there for how long now? Uh, ten years. For ten years. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Bun is – how many people are employed? Uh, we have about 2,000 employees, but we have a lot of uh, contractors that uh, – and, and – uh, what I call dealers worldwide yeah. that are not directly employed, but yet they're 
it would have like a bun name on there. So, um, so we're around the world. Primarily, our stronghold is North America, but we do um, uh, have a place places spread throughout Europe. We also have uh, our big place in China. We have some contract manufacturing there. We don't. We build everything on the continent. We sell though. We um, uh, everything in North America primarily is built in Springfield or in oh, wow. Iowa. I didn't know that. And uh, we have a place in Canada for our Canadian distribution. Um, then we have uh, our in Shanghai, China, just our Shenzhen, China. And did I hear uh, that Abraham Lincoln was tied to your company? Oh, somewhere? everything is Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> and if you go to Springfield, that's is uh, that we've been in business for over 150 years. So one of the, the Bunn family, and so one of their first attorneys was Abraham Lincoln. So we have documents with awesome. his signature. <laughs> that's incredible. It's a, it's a rich history. That's, that's a very rich history. Um, so I want to talk about your, your book, Joyous Leadership. But um, before we do that, I want to talk about challenges. Okay. Because as I was getting to know a little bit about your story, um, it's pretty obvious you've had your fair share of challenges. And so your father died uh, when you were young. Yes. Um, you've had, you know, I guess you have two children, but one of them has yes. special needs. Yes. Um, and, uh, you've also been diagnosed, uh, with a terminal illness. Yes. So that would be enough to cause, I think, many people to become bitter or cynical or to live in fear, um, to be afraid to, you know, kind of go to your front door. And yet one of the things that I've learned is that you love challenges, not just professionally, but personally and so one of the things i saw i can't remember if i read it in your book or somewhere else but that you would rather fail at a huge challenge than succeed at an easy challenge so why is that where did that come from you know i think a little bit of that may be in my dna kind of like my disease i don't know but 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 i do i enjoy winning but i enjoy teams i i don't really uh I don't prefer. I prefer the 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 team win versus the individual win. There's nothing more fun to me than to see, to work hard at a at a at a victory. Hmm. Um, it, this is the satisfaction that you get, and so to have that satisfaction, you got to take some risk, right? It's got to be a big challenge. I mean, there's just nothing great about a small win, a small victory to me, uh, hmm. an easy challenge. I love. Uh, now, I won't say that's always true, Jared. Sometimes I've been challenged with things and I go behind the door and kick the door and I'm like, what is this? Just give me one easy ball, right? <laughs> I'd like to have an easy ball. You need a moral victory. Part. Yes. And, and you do get those, right? You get yeah. those in life, but we forget those a lot of times. Yeah, and so, sure. um, it started early as I think as a kid, you know, like my, when my father died, that was devastating for me. I was a junior in high school and, um, when he was diagnosed. And so that was just, um, you know, you start making, you start seeing life at a, at a different perspective. How do you and, think that did? You said you see life at a different perspective. How do you think your father's death changed you? Well, you know, we, you we all see, we all think life is supposed to be that circle of life, right? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be at a certain age, and this happens. At this age, you know, I get married. At this age, I yes. start getting in my career. At this age, I have children. Uh, and so we had all this mapped out, my wife. I'm a type A personality. My blood type yes. is even A positive. <laughs> so that'll give you an idea. Uh, so we, you could ask my wife. We literally had this on a map, like what we're going to do, what we thought we could make money-wise. We're going to have two kids. We're going to live in Paragould our whole life. We have a brick home, maybe a couple of cars. One of them being a little nicer than the other. We had it mapped yes. out. Yep. But, uh, 
Jared, none of that really happened. That's the funny part. Now yeah. it's funny. You, well, you talk about that even in your book. Right? I do. In chapter 13, I mean, you. I mean, if I can just read this. Yes. You talk about expectations versus reality. You said when we first got married, we had a typical, simple life plan. You know, the one, we'd have 1.93 <laughs> children, a modest brick home, two cars, and maybe an upper middle income salary. We'd be good citizens, help other people, nothing big. We were just going to work hard, enjoy the fruits of our labor with our grandkids at our feet. And never leave our small town. Almost none of that happened, not even close. No, it did not. I mean, we, uh, uh, the, one of the reasons I took the job, uh, some of the other assignments I had was uh, also during that time, what I didn't tell you, when I first started uh, in my career was in the early 80s. And that was back, you know, it was before your time. But uh, there was a thing called, um, well, we had unemployment was real high and also inflation was real high. So there was a misery index. Mm-hmm. It was a combination of unemployment and, uh, you know, and just the inflation rate. And so jobs were tough. They were hard to find. And um, <clears throat> so I did a lot of work trying to think what I would do with my career. And uh, so some of those jobs, even in the factory that I was at in Truman, it had its ups and downs. And so we were concerned that that might close. And so I took the job in Mexico thinking, well, I'll help the company. And maybe after we get this factory going, I can come back to my other factory and and resettle in Paragould again. That was my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was just almost forced. I mean, God does funny things in my, my mind. I don't, I've never been one of those guys that God pokes me on the shoulder and talks to me. I've never heard him say anything, but, boy, he sure has forced me into a keyhole a couple mm-hmm. of times. And, uh, and so uh, I, was just, I, I just did what I was called to do, and I, I took those next steps. Do you think your dad's death, though, that it – help prepare you in some ways I for the fact that life was sometimes it's unexpected like sometimes things don't happen the way that you I, I guess like as I'm, I'm thinking about your the, the quote from the book about expectations versus reality and even what you were what you were saying about your dad and how you know you think there's this circle of life and it's like it's always going to be linear this mm-hmm. this 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 and that and it's not that way Again, I think for some people that could really scare them to be like, okay, what's the point of trying? What's the yeah. point of doing anything? Because it doesn't matter. It's all out of my control. But that's not really the – you yeah. didn't seem to take that path. So in what way yeah. – what did that do for I, you? I think it, it it emboldened me a little bit and also gave me – now, it, in the beginning, I had all those emotions you just talked about. Okay. I'm like, oh, wow, now this kind of sets my path for here, right? Sure. And so I – I stayed there a couple of days sometimes, maybe sometimes a couple of months. Sure. And yeah. would just think, you know, why why bother? I'm not yes. – uh, for example, when I um, graduated, um, my mother was a janitor. She cleaned uh, – as a matter of fact, you were talking to H.T. Moore just a few weeks yes. ago in your podcast. Uh, she cleaned the offices of Kirsch, Kathy, and Brown, which is just up the mm-hmm. road. Here it's no longer there, but it was where the First National Bank drive-free okay. part yeah. is. And uh, she was a janitor. And so, um, and here I was, I worked at Vern Williams Big Star, and uh, which many of your podcasters Man, I know. The, it's a leadership <laughs> pipeline. It's it a farm system. I think that's the farm club there. And so, is he still around? No. Okay. All right. Uh, so it's, We're not bringing him on then. No, no. Uh, but it was just amazing, uh, I guess, just the things that, you know, you go through and you, and I'm thinking, well, I can't really go to college unless I go to a junior college. And so I went to Curls Ridge College. I'm working full time doing that. And I'm trying to just make my way. Finally, I got through the first two years working full time in construction and doing some uh, work. Um, a lot of times I had two jobs. Uh, but 
And then I just... Where did that hard work ethic come from? Uh, I think have to. Uh, okay. And my grandparents, yeah. and I talk about my book, and my parents both were just hard workers. And uh, I, I think I just became so determined that no matter what happened, I was going to do my best hmm. and then uh, just see what happens. Isn't that so much of life? Like I... I so one of my good friends is Jay Allen, who is yes. the president owners of Allen Engineering. And I've talked to him before about, hey, if your kid wasn't going to go to college or even if you had a kid that lived here, what would you tell him to do like for a career? He's like, I would tell him, honestly, to get in manufacturing, go work because that's around the Paragold, right? Go get in a factory and just show up and work hard and good things are going to happen. I think that's exactly what happened to me many times. I, I just didn't know that's what was happening. I just took, I looked at always my options. I, I'm, a, I'm a real linear guy, still am, probably that's the type, Amy. And I would just say, well, I've got this option, this option. Maybe it's three, maybe it's two, maybe it's none. But whatever option I chose, I made sure that was, I was fully committed, headlong, 100%, and just do my best. Hmm. And, um, and I think you, if you repeat enough of those yes. in your life, you'll find the success you want. And, and success, in my, my mind, is not about money. It, it's yeah. about the accomplishments you make, the satisfaction you get. It's What I learned was the success wasn't the destination. It was the journey. That's actually just the happiness, the joy of it all. And yeah. so I learned that, wait a minute, I'm starting to, to look back and say, that was good times. I, I did something there. I really accomplished something. And so it wasn't great in the scheme of the world, right? It wasn't yeah. staving off world hunger or anything like that. But for me, it was it was the best of the options I had. Is this play at all? You know, in chapter one, you there's something in there that I've resonated with. And you said um, in your book, I kept moving the goal line on what I thought would make me happy, which just made me more dissatisfied and unhappy. Like, what was that goal line Originally, I guess it was it money. Originally, you just said like money is not what you do it for. Like, what was your goal line originally that you're like, man, once I get there, that just moves yeah. and it makes me more, like, what was that? Well, I'll Early give you an on. example. I'll ask you a question. When did you, uh, so maybe you've been this way or not, but you ever wanted a car? You just sure. had to have this car. And after you got it, after the first few payments, that car just wasn't as great as you thought yep. it was, right? Oh, yeah. But but even for me, uh, like I say, my wife and I, we, we had that plan, that dream, right? We're going to be here in Paragould our whole life. Both of our families are from here. And uh, and so we, we did that in the beginning. We got married, and we our, both our parents were here. We had one child. and But it seemed like we... For me, I had just a little bit of a discontent always. I'm like, okay, well, we've got that. I'm ha- I'm happy, but I'm not always happy, right? Mm-hmm. And I would maybe the job wasn't the best, and maybe circumstances were not the best. And then we had our second child, and and then he had uh, Down syndrome, and a lot of things started happening really totally unplanned that really just knocked me out of that comfort zone. And then I had to really rethink that. And, uh, and you can, you know, you're really in charge of your own happiness, mm-hmm. your own joy. Um, mm-hmm. I can't make you happy. You can't mm-hmm. make me happy. We can, mm-hmm. we can create some happiness between us, but, mm-hmm. but ultimately you have to make that choice. And I think I finally, uh, my wife and I both, luckily my wife is not the same personality as I am. She's, uh, she's very, uh, level-headed. She's also the, I have to say, the sane one in the family. A lot of times, like, "Hey, back up. Let's think, let's rethink this." <clears throat> so that was good. Um, 
but we just had to rethink our whole value proposition and really what what were we going to do with our life and and what were we what direction were we going to head and so we made some key decisions early on to uh, uh really to choose joy and it's not you know happiness i think i use the term dopamine in the book it's where you scroll through you know your facebook page you got 32 likes oh man that felt good you know mm-hmm. or you get that Ice cream down at Dairy Queen. That's the one. That's mine right there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> give me a peanut give me butter Oreo Reese's Cup Blizzard. That's mine. Exactly. Oreo Blizzard. I'm good. My wife's a Butterfinger. So that's our two things. <laughs> but that's temporary, right? You know, once that's done, then it's 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 over. So we had to look for those other things, and then uh, so it's been a journey, and that's why I called the, you know and stories along the way because each little thing was a journey that helped me reach a little different. So in the book, what I'm really trying to do is hopefully take guys like yourself and and say, here's a guy that's already gone down that maybe save yes. you a few steps. Yes. And just start maybe where I where I'm at and look at it that way. It sounds somewhat like what the the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to do. People don't think of that like when they read Ecclesiastes and the scriptures, it's like they think he's just being a killjoy. And it's like really he's trying to do you a favor and he's showing you like hey, whatever mountain you're trying to climb, like I've actually already been there and I'm just trying to come back down and tell you before, like I'm trying to make sure you don't waste your time getting to a, a mountain that actually, or the top of a ladder that actually won't even right. lead to joy. Like I'm just trying to teach you so you don't have to learn the hard way like yes. I did. I yeah. mean, is that kind of what you're saying? Like from your own life, your own experiences of just... I, yes, a, a little bit more to uh, enjoy that trip. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it. You know, a lot of people think that they spend all their time waiting on some miraculous sign. Here's what I've got to do. Oh, okay, now this is what I was called to do. And then when that fails, I go, well, what happened? Yes. Uh, and we get frustrated. Uh, yep. I think, you know, there's a reason. Now, I wrote the book also for people, not necessarily of faith, because I want everybody to be able to read it. The guy at the factory down the road that doesn't maybe doesn't go to church anywhere, doesn't have any faith. That's fine. Uh, I think that'll be fine because it, it applies to you as well, but also to people of faith and, and, and help them understand God gave us free will for a lot of reasons. Hmm. He says, you know, he wants us to try, Yeah, try what you'd like. Huh. There's nothing terminal in this. Let's, and uh, we do get to get guidance along the way, but uh, there's not a really a wrong decision uh, per se. Uh, it's, it's how we treat it. And as long as we do it in, in the manner in which we're supposed to pursue our goals. So, I love goals. I still set goals. It's funny. Uh, now my goals are a lot simpler. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, I uh, a goal now is to, to be able to walk three miles because of my disease. And so when mm-hmm. I get that done, I'm like, hey, yes, I got three miles. Right. And you used to run. I used to run. I ran with a, the father of running here in Paragould, Ethan Busby, and uh, ran a lot of marathons. Ran about a dozen marathons in my career. And um, and you can't do that anymore. I can't. I was uh, working out. I was actually doing CrossFit one day, and uh, we have a CrossFit basement in my house, still there. And uh, one morning, I came upstairs for breakfast after getting ready to go to work, and my, I told my wife, I said, I, I couldn't do a box jump today. She goes, what? You always do box jumps. I said, no, I, I couldn't get on the box. And, oh, well, tomorrow you'll be able to. Don't worry about it. And that was the last day I was able to jump on a box. Really? That's how the disease came on. But it was obviously coming on quicker in other areas. I just didn't notice it. And I, I even went to the doctor, and I told him the story. He looked at me like I was a little he, – he and I were the same age. He goes, 
I've never been able to do a box jump. <laughs> I said, but I could do one yeah, last yeah. week. And, uh, and so it was uh, just, it went through two years of, of, di- of misdiagnosis to get to this disease finally. And uh, How do you process your, uh, it, you know, you're talking about joy and happiness. I think one of the, like the um, misconceptions is that like if you're joyful, you're, it's kind of like the picture of like the high school cheerleader who's just like always yeah. cheering and always just like smiling ear to ear, even though like your team's getting beat by 30. And it's like, I, I, it seems like you're able to like true joy you're able to carry that with grief at times in an appropriate way. Like, would you say that was, has been true of you in your journey? So I just think about like, if I was, and this will come for me one day, someday, right? Whether it's yeah. a disease or just old age or whatever, like where the things that I used to be able to do, I can no longer do mm-hmm. physically. And I'm already anticipating like when that happens, um, I just think that it'll, it would be easy for me on you know, my personality to live back in the past. And just constantly be sad that the things I used to be able to do, I can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak at all into that as someone who's gone before me? Of like, how do you learn? Because I think there is an appropriate grief. Like we, we, you know, emotions, all these things come from the same side. I think it's if you try to turn off one, it seems like you turn off all of them, right? And so, how do you hold those things together? Like grief, sadness, endings, but also joy. Yeah, that's a good question, and I, I think about that a lot, actually. Um, when I got diagnosed, I, I don't want anyone to hear this podcast say, oh, he got diagnosed and just went out there laughing, right? That, that didn't happen. Um, my wife and I, we were in the Mayo Clinic, and we went back to the hotel and cried. Mm. Um, and then we didn't tell anyone. I'm like, how do you tell someone you're dying? Mm. Uh, you just don't really know how to do that. And, uh, and, and first they gave me because of the – they literally they, told you you were dying, right? Oh yes, they. Uh, like, what was the actual like? What do you remember what he said to you, or she? He told me to go get my affairs in order. That I would be lucky to see Christmas. Jeez. And that was in February of 2014. And so. So did you think at that point like that's like this will be my last year? I did. I was 56 years old, and I thought, wow, what a way to end 56 years, you know? And uh, of course, you go to all the regrets, right? Yeah. What you, you talk a little bit about that. In there, mm-hmm. uh, if I can, can I read that? Sure, is that okay? Sure. And then I want to come back. But you said, you know, besides the whole "woe was me" and feeling sorry for myself, I really began thinking that my life had been a waste. Uh, in my mind, I was a mediocre father, husband, son, brother, and business professional. I felt that what few accomplishments I had really amounted to nothing. I was panicked that this was how fifty-six years of my life would end. Nothing. Yeah. That's a very vulnerable and powerful statement. So you're yeah. looking back now, you're like, okay, you got until December, and you're looking back 56 years old, and you're thinking, what have I really done? That's exactly what I thought. And um, so we, we we returned home, and at that time, you got to remember when I got the diagnosis, uh, there were there were no treatments. They could only do convalescent care and uh, palladium, you know, just palliative care. And... Uh, so they had me on a few meds. I couldn't eat. I was eating, living off of broth and Jello, and um, Jeez. so, but we didn't want to really tell anyone. I mean, I didn't know how to tell anyone. I thought, how do you make a phone call? So, oh, by the way, I'm going to be gone by Christmas. So that's a, and so I was really struggling with that. But I, but I went to work the next day, and I will never forget the drive out of my driveway. It's half panic and half elation that I'm still alive. <laughs> and so, but I'm driving up That's and I saw crazy. the most beautiful sunrise going to work. And I thought, 
wow, God's still in control. Uh, this is kind of interesting. I'm seeing one of the prettiest sunrise. You know, and I know that sunrise is prettier today because I'm, I don't have many more to look at, right? Huh. Uh, but I thought it was beautiful. I actually did something you're not supposed to do. I took my phone out through my windshield and took a picture of the sunrise. You know, you're not supposed to be on your phone while you're driving, but I did that day. Um, and I, I went to work, and I was just miserable, and they helped me so much at work. And finally, I had to tell my my boss, and I told him, I said, hey, uh, I told him earlier that I either had ALS, MS, or amyloidosis, but either one of them was not going to fare well because I, at the pace it was moving. And uh, so finally, I went in his office. I said, hey, you know, you, you may want to just, let me go on disability, let me go live out my days. He goes, um, the owner said, I wouldn't let you claw your way out here. We're going to help you fight this, and mm. we'll do whatever it takes. You need to go home and rest. We'll do it, but uh, let's let's fight and see what's left. And uh, so I thought, well, there's one person that believes in me some way. Wow. And uh, so we trudged along there for what seemed like forever. Uh, it probably was only a couple of weeks, and finally we started telling just a few people, family, and um, and people, and you look fine, right? So people look at you, and go, "Are you sure?" Or yeah, you want to get a second opinion? Because yeah. it's other. I mean, I look like a picture of health. I'd just been doing CrossFit a few months before, and uh, so it was a very staggering time for emotionally. And so we we go through the gambit. We'd be. You know, I think I told you in the, in the book there, we, I'd be mad at God. Yes. I'm like, how in the world? Can't you? I mean, I'm not asking for anything. Just leave me alone. Yes. Yeah, That's yeah. kind of the way I felt. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and then so then we get back to a better spot. We go to church on Sunday and, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, they sing some emotionally uplifting song, you know, uh, that, uh, that I was like, oh, my goodness. See, my wife would go home sometime, and she'd say, Eddie's preaching to us. He, I said, he's got a microphone in our, 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 our listening device in our living room. <laughs> it's funny how things really speak to yeah. you. But uh, So uh, I decided, you know, I can be miserable and bitter, hmm. or I can just do my best. Hmm. And uh, I decided, you know, I'm not going to be perfect at this, but I'm going to do my best. It was almost like going through a 12-step, making some amends, doing some things different, um, and just try to be happy and, and try to realize that I've been given a gift. 56 years, some people don't get that. And I thought, I'm going to make this the best I can be. And so uh, that's wow. kind of where we left it. Wow. So... Would you say that you've, on the other side of this diagnosis, you're better than you were than when you received it? Oh, yes. I've got a gift now that, unfortunately, you you don't have. Um, I mean, you're, you're a pastor, and I know you may have some, you've had some good studying, but until you're really in that defined time that you, you've been put in defined time, you've got left. Hmm. Until you really, you know, that's when you do your best work, Right. When did you yeah. do your best work when you were studying, for, cramming for a test sure. in your college? You, it was those last few hours. I mean, you were yeah. just able to absorb things. And so there's so many things that I enjoy now. And there's so many things that used to annoy me that I don't even, I don't even see it. Uh, so the gift there is just incredible. And then there's so many other people that meet up with you that they're also in a similar diagnosis that you just share that gift together that we're, we realize that we're all in limited time, but I just know mine more yes. so than you may know yours. Um, 
Which and, you think allows you to live not just with greater intentionality, but a greater amount of gratitude. Uh, definitely a lot of gratitude. And, uh, and just priorities are just, they're so easy to align now. Uh, they're just, there's just really hardly any prioritization. It just happens. Uh, it's just so easy. And, and that's really the gift. And, and like I say, there's so many things that, that are just more richer. They're sweeter. They're, uh, I, I love people even more than I did before. I've always been a people person and I love people, but, uh, but I really, I love to hear people's stories now, you know, because it's just, it means so much more to me. It's incredible. It seems like you are, you know, a lot of times it feels like, at least for me, like my anxiety or my inability to enjoy the simple pleasures of life is because I'm always thinking about the future and I'm trying to control the uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like, you know, you, you've, when you were given this diagnosis and you're like, hey, this is when, you know, you're, you're on borrowed time, it seems like you, you, you made some sort of a shift where it's like, I'm not going to let what I can't control poison what I can enjoy. Yes. And, and, you know, and again, I'm, I'm a type A person. And so we, we think we can control everything. Yes. <laughs> and we'll sure try. We try. <laughs> we do. Yes. And so this wasn't a switch. It wasn't a light switch. I didn't go in three days later and go, Hey, I got this all figured out guys. Step aside. This, this is about joy. Uh, so I, I would go back and forth, um, but I will say the pendulum definitely swung, and my compass definitely drifted toward true north, and I was able to make those changes. It's just, it, it was remarkable. Again, person after person reached out to me, guys with di- uh, terminal illnesses or maybe spouses that had lost a loved one, and they gave me those ends. They could speak to me, right? They had been there, so I got it. And, um, and so that was the big turning point for me is just that there's certain things that I, I can't control in a day's time. And I just, I work on those things that I can impact. And then I also, when I'm done, I'm done. I, I just don't worry about it. Like really? I used to. And, and that uh, came after the diagnosis. I got better as it, at it as time went on. My wife, people used to ask my wife, cause I, I've, I've always ran some, for the last 20 years, I ran some pretty large organizations. And so a lot of pressure. Absolutely. Um, some people would ask my wife, does he sleep at night? I said, you can't beat this guy to sleep. You know, it's really it's about 20 seconds. He's out. Yeah. I think I learned, uh, sometime early in life to, um, you know, to let the almighty handle what I was, couldn't do, even though I was determined to, hmm. to not need him much. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt like I could do most of it, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but I finally just learned to um, give it your all, give it give it one hundred and ten percent. But that's all that's expected. Really, that's more than is expected. But but just give it your all and and be happy, be content with that. Man, I love that. I'm not there. I want to be, but it seems like such a place of freedom of being able to. You show up at, at work or whatever it is that you've been given to do the task that day and say, okay, I'm going to do this the best I can. I'm going to be present in the moment, like what's been, whatever's in front of me, whether it's this, this kid I'm taking care of or the job that I've been given to do here or whatever. I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm going to, at the end of the day, let the chips fall where they may and trust. For you, it seems like you trust in God. Mm-hmm. Um, just trust him with the results. Yes, you know, the... 
I think the hardest thing is, is uh, you really can't give grace until you can receive it. Hmm. Um, so I had to learn to give myself grace. That's huge, and I was not very good at that. Where did you learn that from? Uh, How did the, what, what was the shift there? Because uh, I can tell you, as a pastor and someone who used to do do therapy for five years for a counseling agency, like we talk to ourselves in ways that we would never talk to other people <laughs> typically. You know, so so where where did that shift come uh, from? Where you learn how to be soft with yourself, kind to yourself, show yourself grace. You know, I, I, some of it's through age and maturity, a, a okay. lot of it. But That makes me feel better. It, makes me feel it does. <laughs> I, I would love to tell you that I've got this magic pill and I can sell that to you, right? Yeah. But but I, I thought about it a lot. And, and I think through some colossal failures that, mm-hmm. that I had, and, and uh, whether it be as a parent or it be as a, a business failure, maybe that luckily I had some really great bosses and some great mentors that were good at giving me that grace. And they knew that I had tried my hardest. And I'd, but um, I was afraid you were going to say that about failure. Cause I keep <laughs> hearing that and I'm like, can I choose my failures? Can I choose which ones they are? Cause that is true. Like it's until we fail and then we realize like, Oh, people don't leave me. Right. Just because I'm not perfect. Because that's the lie, right? We believe. It's like, if I don't nail this, if I'm not perfect, people, they only love me for what I do. And if I can't perform well enough, then they're going to leave. And then, so the only way to really remedy that is to screw up. Yeah. Yeah. And then people say, I'm still here. I'm still loving that. Really? Wow. Yeah. I I did that. You know, I had at work, I had a few failures. I talk about that in my book. Some of them were just personal personality failures that I had. And I had some really tough bosses that mentored me and didn't give up on me and gave me hard conversations. And, uh, and I will tell you, Jared, I didn't sign up for those conversations. They, I was a, an unwilling victim. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so those were good, but I had to go home and think about that. I either had to say my boss is wrong hmm. and keep that arrogant behavior or that, that stiff neck behavior, or hmm. I had to say my boss is right and I have to change. Hmm. And he was willing to give me grace about those things. And so, and when I learned to give myself grace and say, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to be open. And I'm going to have people that I give permission to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not everyone. Mm-hmm. Those are people I really mm-hmm. trust. Those mm-hmm. are people that mm-hmm. are doing that for no agenda other than to help me. When you find those people, they're invaluable. Keep them. And... Uh, so that was key for me, and um, I have a couple of good friends I still give permission to do that to, obviously, and my wife being one of them. Mm-hmm. And my wife's fantastic at it. She's um, uh, has had been the only one sometimes that could do that. And uh, and so those are hard discussions. It's hard to take those because, uh, again, I, I enjoy being right. Mm-hmm. I had a oh, friend yeah. of mine that always said uh, – yeah. He said, I may be wrong, but never in doubt. <laughs> uh, that was a little bit of the way I was at times. Yeah. So. Well, I, I'm curious, is there, for, you, we've already said, talked quite a bit about joyous leadership in the book, and I think you shared pretty well on like why you decided to write this book. Is there anything else that you would want the listener to know, um, whether it's about the book itself or just around the topic of joyous leadership? That we've not already covered? Well, here's the big underlying thing of the book. It's kind of subtle, but a lot of people think I've got to be where Jared Pickney's at or I've got to be where Mark Watson's at to even start 
Well, mm-hmm. that that's wrong. That's a lie that we're told. We're even told that by a lot of positive thinkers, and everybody thinks, well, I've got to be like this this great pastor that's out. He's got a million Instagram posts and a million followers. Mm-hmm. You don't. That's that's just marketing. That's just a lie. Start where you're you, at. Yeah. Go, sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, start where you're at. Uh there's not a wrong place to start. I, I, the value of my story is, is I didn't really start out with that great of odds. I was a single parent. My mother was a janitor. I had great brothers, great family. I did have a good heritage, but but there's a lot of kids that grow up when you you know you know the odds of a kid that grows up with one parent yes. that a lot of times doesn't fare too well. Yeah. Forget the statistics. Forget where you've got to start. Start where you are. Joy can start today. I don't care. You can't really name a situation that I can't tell you that I can't find a way for you to be joyful. I don't, I'm not talking laughter. Hmm. Laughter can happen. My wife and I, we actually have laughed about this disease a couple of times, but not in the beginning. Sure. But joy can happen. It's the journey that we choose to start, and we start right where we're at. You don't need to be where I'm at. I don't even... You know, shouldn't even aspire to do that. Hmm. But start where you're at and whatever gifts you've been giving and just build on that just a, just one day, one hour, one minute, one second at a time, and then just move on from that. And you know what? And tomorrow you'll fail. You go, oh, here I am starting over. Yes, you are. But you've got a whole lot of knowledge. you got one more day of knowledge to start yeah. with. And so you're really not starting over. It may look like geographically you're starting over. You're in the same location, but that's okay. Start again, and then one of these days you're going to look back and you're going to say, "Wow, you remember when in nineteen, you know, two thousand and twenty-one, you yeah. and Jared and I we were in the middle of a pandemic and yes. we're talking across the table in some little church. He's trying to get started, and and you think, oh, I'd love to have more membership. I'd love to have more engagement in my members. And I'm saying, oh, I'd love to figure out how I sell more coffee brewers and all this kind of stuff. That will mean nothing." Hmm. But the journey and us sitting here talking will be forever cherished. Hmm. That's a message that I need to hear every single day. Because as a top A as well, um, man, it is just so easy, especially in the world of social media, to constantly compare and feel like I'm behind where I need to be. I'm not as far along yeah. as I need to be, um, and therefore it it for some for some people I guess it can cause them just to shut down. But for me, it just makes me want to work harder, yeah. and and therefore just not enjoy the journey. Yes, um, because there's that lie that I I tend to believe of. Um, well, man, if I could get to where Mark Watson is, mm-hmm. right, or whoever it may be, like if I could be to have this title or make this kind of money or have this many people that report to me, like that's where the happiness yeah. is found. But to hear someone over and over and say like, no, like start where you are. Don't compare yourself to someone else and just enjoy the journey. Like that's the joy. Um, and it's just, I don't, you don't hear that message a lot. And so I think now, that's why your book is so important. That's what my, uh, my publisher and my editor both, uh, I thought, Again, I was not going to write a book. I had no desire to write a book. And uh, my wife and different people, a pastor friend of mine, that he kept texting me my story titles. He says, oh, this is chapter three in your book. And I'm like, not going to happen. And so finally I did start writing. And uh, then I think, well, I'm just going to make a PDF, right? And 
I'll be done. I set it on a shelf and, and it just, I kept following the, the path. And then, uh, my wife said, well, let's get this thing edited. You know, let's, let's find an editor. And so we, she did most of the work on this cause I was a, kind of a reluctant participant. Mm. I, I'm thinking I've wrote it. I'm done. Mm. And, uh, she found an editor, uh, by another real weird, uh, circumstance happened really kind of a God thing. I would say we, we, she just Googled for editors and, uh, we found this editor, her name was Christina Boy, CEB editorial. And uh, we sent her an email. We got nothing. We sent two or three emails and got nothing to anyone from anyone. I'm thinking, well, this book must really be bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was so upset about nobody responding. I was, Here's the type A coming out, right? Yeah. So I want to know why they're not responding. So I sent her an email and I said, why did you not even respond what is so wrong with this book huh. and she i got an email almost instantly said oh mark i did send an email it went it was an error she had an error in her she uses this program that does her emails and distribution yeah. and manages them and it had a, an error she didn't realize it but uh she actually is an editor for john maxwell oh, wow. and uh and she said i want to do the book i've never heard of anything like this i want to i want to take on the book and so um so we've been editing since January 17th and doing all the layout edits. And we're just now to the point of, uh, I'm done. <laughs> I'm yeah. really done. And, yeah. uh, so there it's at the publisher and they're doing all the work now. So, uh, so I wasn't really looking to write a book. It, it just happened. Well, it's served me well by reading it. You know, we've seen, um, We've seen narcissistic leadership. We've seen angry leadership, anxious leadership, selfish leadership. We, we all have those stories, yes, right? Yes. And um, we all want to be under or to experience ourselves joyous leadership. Yeah. And so I do think, you know, the reality is as I was reading through this is I started thinking that this book really is for everyone because everyone's a leader in some capacity. They are. I mean, there are somebody they have influence around and that people are watching them, whether it's kids or a circle right. of friends or whoever. And so, I mean, joyous leadership is so vital, I think, especially in the world that we're living in right now. So, well done on that. Is there Thank anything you. else before we end today? Um, yeah, any just uh, anything in your heart or your mind that you would want to share um, to those who are listening um, whether it's around something we've talked about or something we haven't talked about that you think would serve them well. Yeah. Well, just take heart. You know, a lot of people, um, we've had a real unusual times, right? We've had COVID. We've had a volatile election we just got over, and there's, there's, there is no middle ground anymore, it seems like. Yeah. And uh, um, there's still somebody in charge. There's, there's still one in charge, whether you're a believer or not. And I know there's people that list this podcast that may not be, and that's, that's okay too, because I've been where they've been at times in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. um, but take heart. There's, there's good in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, just, just go look for it. It's, you kind of see what you want to see in life. Uh, so whether it's through joyous leadership, that's one avenue, but there's other things and just go look for it and be that. If not, if you can't find it, be that person. I loved your guy last week on the podcast that talked about, he sees something that needs to happen mm -hmm. in Paraguay goes and does that. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's the answer. Mm -hmm. Yes. You can be the joy in somebody's life and you mm -hmm. may be the only joy they see that day. Mm -hmm. So do that. That's great, Mark. 
It's uh, been such a privilege to be able to spend time with you. And also, I meant to tell you, you have great taste in shirts because <laughs> I have the exact same shirt. I almost wore the exact one today. I wish we had. But I had wore it in the previous podcast episode. And so, if I'd only known, we, next time we got to coordinate our, yes. our wardrobes together, yes. you I apparently like have great taste. Yes. So, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for uh, bringing the coffee maker, which we're going to be able to gift to one of our yeah. listeners. And so, I really hope that we get to uh, catch up again in the near future. And, and I believe that yeah, this book's going to serve a lot of people. Yeah. So, thank, thank, thank you, you for Jared. your work. Thank you. All right, so that was Mark Watson. Mark, thanks so much for coming in and for bringing the goodies that, um, again, if you subscribe to our email list, you can have a chance of winning. Are we giving these away separately or both together? Together. All right. So you can have a chance to win the best of the best uh, home bun coffee maker along with Joyous Leadership by Mark Pre-release Watson. copy of it. The pre-release copy. Yeah. Mark's awesome. He is. So he talked about how he might uh, eventually move back to Paragould. I really hope that he does so we can spend more time together. You know, before we got started, he went on and on about how awesome that coffee maker is. Yeah. And then, you know, he was pretty quick in the introduction, but that's an awesome coffee maker. I hope I win it. <laughs> did you subscribe to the email list? I did. Okay. I in guess. three different accounts. Oh, wow. All right. Well, then you probably have a pretty good chance of winning. I do. So, uh, hey, if you're still listening, thanks so much for tuning in. As always, we're so glad uh, that you were able to join us. If you will, uh, be sure to check us out on our different social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We have a website. Uh, com. You can subscribe to our email list, of course, um, for the chance to win the coffee maker and the book. And uh, if you haven't already done so, uh, go over to iTunes. We're really close to having 100 mm-hmm. five-star ratings, um, which not only makes us feel a little better about ourselves, but it helps other people actually all over um, find the Paragold podcast and learn more about the beautiful, wonderful people that are living in this area. So as always, thanks again for listening. Until next time.